Hello everyone, you are tuning in to the Undergrads Podcast, a podcast where a couple of students set out to challenge the concepts and ideas from the world beyond the creative industry. In this, we question the leading experts, creatives from different mediums, and artists who are looking to make an impact. Let's get into the first episode. Hi guys, welcome to the first episode of Undergrad Podcast. I'm joined by Ben Motosaid, a multidisciplinary designer who is part of a team that runs a 13,000 strong online design community called TDL, the Designers League. He's also currently working for Matter No Matter, who are a non-profit design studio working through different mediums, in particular being motion graphics. Hi Ben, how are you? I'm I, dude. Like, sort of got through that all right? Yeah, I got through. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, the yeah. first one, so yeah, man. I'm a bit nervous. It's all right, it's all right. How you been? I don't bite. No, that's Yeah, I'm good, man. Like, just working away all the time, just constant graft. Um... I can't even begin to talk about how much I've got going. It's ridiculous, man. So basically, yeah, I just started doing all my freelance work. Like you said, I sort of did this collab studio, Matt and Matt were working on a project at the moment for um, about basically oceanic pollution, like plastic pollution. Obviously, it's sort of, we're a little bit gutted because everyone's jumped on that this year and that we started doing it last year. So we're a bit slow. But Mm -hmm. then alongside that, obviously, got all the designers league things, got some pretty exciting stuff happening. And I've got my day job going on in a motion design studio. So pretty much around the clock, 24-7, like insomnia so at the moment you talk about this fact of like you don't want to just be you know one trick pony you want yeah, to kind of yeah. dabble into all of the things and what makes you a multidisciplinary designer well I think it's interesting because when I when I graduated which was going on 2014 um, you had to sort of actively choose to do it so every, you were still being pushed into specialisms like my tutors were always like oh you should like go into print or you should go to motion and that's how the sort of um, syllabus ran so you had to sort of make a conscious choice that you were interested in these different things, recognize that and keep doing it. So for the last four years, I've basically recognized that that's what I like to do. I mm. like to work in different mediums and I've had to make sure I use the software for every medium. I try and do projects in every medium. Um, so anyone who follows me on like social media or like see my portfolio, I do like motion and illustration and print and branding because it's just what I like. Well, I think now, and obviously you guys being still in the education system, you might know, you might, you might agree or might not disagree, but I think... There's more of a push for you guys to be exploring that already. I think before you even graduated, there's more of a push for you guys to be sort of looking into motion and looking into digital and looking into print. So it's a bit different now. I think it's a bit, it's, it's interesting because while when I was graduating, it was more of like me going, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do everything. Now I think it's just natural. I think most people do it. And I think to be a multidisciplinary to me is just that you work across a variety of mediums. You're constantly interested in involving yourself in those industries. So you like you don't just embed yourself in the print industry and go. I like to do animation. You go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to animators. I'm going to get involved in film nights and do that. And it comes from what educational basis of, I suppose, actually really um, emerging yourself in these different mediums. And also, like realistically, if you get into the depth, of it, everyone's multidisciplinary. If you take it outside of design, like everyone's interested in loads of different things. Yeah. Um, for me, I just recognised that it would probably in the long run make me more employable. It mean I'd potentially be able to get more freelance gigs across different varieties. And this is what I enjoy. Like I like how if you learn how to animate, it helps actually, it, it strengthens your print skills. If you learn how to do print and layout, it actually helps how you use composition and animation and film, um, which is one of the reasons I got my job and why I, my, what director says one of my strongest points is that I understand print and it really helps with composition when it comes to doing animation. But also, it's, my life is like that at the moment. Like I work in a motion studio, an animation studio. So I do that in my day job. And in my personal life, I do branding and print. And it's just a nat- it's how my life just naturally it's evolved. That, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, just touching back on your point where you mentioned when you were at uni and they, they kind of told you, you know, dabble into everything mm. and create, you know, your portfolio should be broad and vast and also different. Yeah. Um, we've experienced that as well from first year into third year, the progression of doing, you know, learning about the basics of design and then in second year, dabbling into digital, like motion graphics. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then in third year, you know, looking at more print, what you like. So, yeah. you know, they're like, okay, if you enjoy that, then go into that. So they, at university, they try and make sure that you have a chance to try everything and find out what you, what you like. Yeah. And in terms of that, like, I guess that does make you multidisciplinary because you, you're, you're dabbling into print, like you said, digital, you're not just, you know, honing yeah. down one, I mean, one craft. So my question is to you yeah. from that is like, when you were at uni, mm. was there something in particular that you really enjoyed? Was it motion graphics or was that after university? After oh you left university? man, I was like, <clears throat> not the best designer at uni at all. Like I, 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 
spent my whole first year just mucking around with like hand rendered stuff. So like, I like doing typography, but like really going out and getting to like grips with the world and like draw hand drawing type and doing stuff like that. And I specialized in motion design in my second year. Now at the time I hadn't really thought about it. My best mate, Dan, who was on my course with me, what he was going to do it. He was like really firm set on going to animation and motion design graphics. And he currently is a motion graphics designer in London. It was never really sort of like, oh, I recognize this is potentially going to be a big thing, so I'm going to do it. It was just because my mate's doing it. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so it sort of made sense. Yeah. Yeah, so I specialized in that, and then I went back in third year. I went to do type and print again, and actually, my third year of uni was the first time I properly did, I did a proper publication using InDesign, and that shows the degree how sort of maybe stubborn or like how set in my ways I was about how I, I like to do things a certain way, so I wasn't going to bother trying other things. So my third year, I did my first like InDesign publication, which was like sort of 70 pages and I did all the grid systems and learned loads of stuff. Um, and then I left uni and was just like the most eclectic portfolio you've ever seen. It was like loads of like random hand rendered like motion module, which I specialized in for like a term. I was so set on not learning After Effects or anything like that. that I, I did everything with like um, models. So I handmade sets and I did all this stuff because I was like, it's all going to be about storytelling through the camera because I didn't want to learn software because I was really stubborn. So it was weird. I, I had a really um, interesting period at, at uni because I feel in the last four years since leaving uni, as an actual technical designer, I've improved a hell of a lot more. But yeah, so when I was at, while I was at uni, again, it was just one of my sort of weak, which is maybe probably one of my strongest points, but also one of my downfalls is that I can't keep my attention for long enough in a certain place. Yeah. And as a result, I just jump between things. And that sort of was the the story of my entire three years at uni was that I couldn't settle on one medium and I just kept jumping back and forth, which is fun, but then it doesn't help too much when you try and get a job because like I think they always say, be a multidisciplinary, but also have a specialism. So if you're going to be, if you know you want to go into branding, really graft at branding but also make sure you're branching out and you're exploring motion within branding and all that sort of stuff and the same with print or type design you know that's what you want to do there's nothing wrong with having a speed and want to be a, have a specialism yeah but today a lot of studios a lot of companies are looking for that broad range spectrum of like to a point my i think they're just bloody idiots i think they're stupid it's like you look at a you look at a job application now and like what they're asking for job criteria it's like must know css and html and how to use premiere and after effects and it's working knowledge of cinema 4d and also be a don of print design and also have marketing skills so and asking like, for a lot and know, me, and know my nan and all this stuff and it's like it's just it's not realistic like i was saying this the other day all that says to me if a company asks for these things is that they either don't appreciate how hard it is to learn these things or they don't have a clue of what they're looking for. Mm. And for me, I wouldn't want to go work for a company like that. It's one thing to say we want working knowledge of Cinema 4D and it's advantageous to have motion skills or something like that. But to say you need someone who has like can do coding and design and be an animator, to me just says you have no idea what you want. Mm. And I don't want to waste my time trying to get into that little like niche area. I mean, that, that's, a, uh, that's a good point you make because you talked about it's also, you know, 1% of graduates that come out of university try and aim for these top tier mm. design studios. And like you said, they're look, they're demanding so much, they're looking for that. Is it also the fact that if you don't get into these design studios, mm. you know, are you not a good designer? What's your take on that? Is it? I think uni um, conditions you to think if you don't get into these top 50, or top 100 design agencies, you're a failure. I think I left uni thinking I was going to aim for like Royal College of Art for my master's. I was then going to go and look at like Bibliotech or like um, someone or moving brands. I was so set on getting to moving brands. To me, they were like the best studio I've ever come across. And then you get out of uni and you realize that, yeah, it happens for the 1%. And if you happen to know someone, like maybe you're like dad's friend's uncle is like a senior designer somewhere and they can get a good word in and get you an internship and whatever. But for the vast majority, you're not going to get into these off the, off the bat. Like juniors who go and work in stuff like Pentagram have got three years experience under their belt. They're not juniors in the traditional sense. They're yeah. juniors in the sense that like the scale, the tiers are different. So I think there's definitely a, a, a hard time. It's a hard time for graduates because they come out and it's like they've been told for three years, we deem your success by you getting into these agencies. And then you apply to all these like top 50, you send in like CVs, you send applications everywhere. And... You don't hear back. Most of the time, you won't even get an email back because they are, they're too busy. They've got other things going on. And it knocks you down. It knocks your confidence down. And you start to question, like, am I a good designer? Do I know what I'm doing? Like, it wasn't the last three years worth anything. So I think it's not that you shouldn't aim for these companies if it's really what you want to do. But I just think I don't rate these companies as much as I did. And I don't think they define success. I think they define your ability to be able to 
tick a box to get work, your work noticed by what they're after. And I think you, graduates will be far better working out what it is that they define success for themselves and not live under the expectations of other people or the assumptions of other people. You should find out what it is you truly want to be doing. That could be working for the RSPCA or it could be working for the NSPCC in, in their head offices as a designer. Or it could just be doing going to an agent, a small agency and have a, getting to grips with loads of different things. Or it could be going out to Sagmeister and Walsh and trying to get an internship so you can be really close to Jessica Walsh. But, but like, I just, I, to me, it's just, there's a, uni teaches you what other people think you should do. It doesn't teach, it doesn't teach you what you deem success to be. It, deem, it teaches you what your, the staff there or what education teaches the success. And that's why I think my one critique of uni education is, is it, it, you spend three years building up to try and live someone else's life or what someone else wants to be doing or what they so they can get the better um the better percentage of like graduates who've gone on to do mad stuff and that looks great for them so they can get more graduates in the next year because that's what it is it's a, it's a machine yeah so so it's ultimately you're trying to work towards what makes you happy isn't it so yeah i guess it, it, it suits what i want to be heading towards it suits exactly, what my, yeah. my own ambition is and like i said don't get me wrong it's not like i'm some sort of like so my question is are yeah. you happy now yeah yeah but that's what i mean it's, it's i'm not like trying to say yeah. anybody, like, i left union and was like oh I, i'm not going to conform to this nonsense i was truly there i left and i was like i was lucky enough to go to a company called 1.0 an agency which are, were like i think this year last year they're like 32nd in the top 50 design agencies so i went into that i went into the straight away into that sort of like multi-million agency top 50 and it was great. And I actually got my, I did get my first junior job off the back of a Nike project I worked on when I was there. But it, now it, it's just so far from what I wanted. I left uni with this sort of really like, that is what success is. Being one of these like people you hear about who've gone to like two times Elliot or have gone to, or have gone to Pentagram or have gone to all these really um, JKR or something like that. That's what it is to be a successful designer. And after like four years of working, I just want to be doing stuff that I care about that affects other people in a positive way. Uh, not in the sort of hippie like oh I'm gonna like all spiritualness but in the sense of like I want to feel like what I do matters and it's not just about me trying to be very self-serving going because at the end of the day as, as creatives we can do really amazing things in the world and we can change things and we can impact the way people see certain topics or s see themselves and dedicate your whole life just so you can get into this sort of faux prestige of like what someone tells you an agency is worth or what it isn't it's just a bit of not wasted time, but to me, you could be doing better, more interesting things. Yeah. You could be trying to have a positive impact on people in your own way. So it's like me, like I give a lot, of, a lot of my time to students. I give a lot of my time to other people and do portfolio critiques or meet for coffees and do stuff like that. And if that means that it helps those people in a positive way, to me, that's more, better time served than just grafting a portfolio so I can get into a top 50 agency. So I can be like, oh, I'm in a top 50 agency. That's not to say if man versus machine rang me up tomorrow and said, we've got a job for you, I would say no. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to be like, yeah. But at the same time, um, I'm not actively pursuing that, I'd probably say. More as much as I was maybe when I was 22, 23. Yeah, I mean, going back to what you said about um, working for your first agency and working on a big project for Nike. Mm. Go from that corporate world mm. into, like you said, non-profit and do, yeah, do yeah, yeah. design for the better. Obviously, he was from a young age. so Yeah, wasn't... well, I mean, it, it was, there is actually a big jump. So what's funny is when you get into the industry, you'll realise just how many people, studios have worked with Nike. Like just how many, like every, every agency, every studio you come across has pretty much had some affiliation with like a Nike project or those sort of really big clients. So it's actually, the prestige of that is actually lost a little bit when you get in there and you realise actually everyone's done this, so it's not a big deal. Mm. But I basically did that and then I, I went into a really small branding agency out in Hertfordshire, which was um, just doing work for restaurants and that gave me like a really good fundamental bedrock of typography. So it's what I was saying about not being, for people to not be scared to like go into these smaller agencies and not get knocked down if they don't get hear back from the sort of these massive companies because you'll actually learn really good fundamentals being in smaller environments and you'll get involved in a lot more. So I went into this branding agency for like a year and um, just learned all about like sort of fundamentals of type and layout, for, like formatting, like all these sort of like different things, which is really useful. And I got made redundant. And that's like a knockdown. So then I, had to, I started back as an intern. So I basically worked for like a year and a half to like build up to where I was, got made redundant. The job market was horrendous. No one was hiring. My mate um, here got me, um, at my current place, got me um, an interview for, and they gave me an internship. So I started back at like minimum wage after a year and a half, which was really hard. So, and then going into what you say about the charity stuff, that just came out of, it was almost like getting made redundant and having to work back into like a career gave me a sense of like almost graft and like 
just going through it and realizing that you can do things if you get your mind set your mind to something um and then the charity stuff came out of me and my mates just having a passion for that like we all like we care about stuff everyone cares about stuff yeah i mean the the design industry is a bit it's i always say it's a bit soulless it's not soulless it's just you you spend a lot of your time making work to make really rich people richer and get people with maybe not so much money to spend money and that's just what design is it's like it's part of capitalism and it's part it's like a it's a sales and product market so for me doing all the non-profit stuff was just because i i care about that sort of thing i care about like nspcc is one of my favorite charities and i like the sort of like for me helping kids out of poverty helping kids out of cruelty is really important and i me and my mates were sat down one day and we just realized that we all had these issues that weren't ever really we weren't ever getting to work for in our day jobs so we decided we're just going to go off and try and do it ourselves and just do it. Half the stuff we do is pro bono. Like we don't get any money for it. It's just because we want to give back. And it's just a way to almost rebalance the karma a little bit, but also give you a bit of a mental release. Like you spend all day making work for like John Lewis. So, you know, like, oh, buy this new speaker because it's really rad. And it's great because you get to make everything. I get to come into work. I get to draw and I get to make really cool stuff. But at the same time, it's not having a massive positive effect on people, which is going back to what I was saying earlier about giving up your time for other people. To me, success to me is been able to do that and happy me being happy is being able to like actually help people and even if we make an animation for a for a charity and only five people bother going to see the website and out of those five people one person donates money that's still one person more that's been like done a positive thing based off some work we did and that's all it matters it's like i'm not trying to take over the world i'm just trying to like do stuff i enjoy yeah so you make a difference, like, you know, one person at a time, basically. Yeah, and make a difference in whatever way you can. It's not that you have to go start an agency. It's not that you have to go, like, donate loads of money or give up loads of your time. Just see what it is that you're interested in, what you can do. Yeah, exactly. And do that, because it doesn't take much. You obviously have this a collaboration between one of your friends called Matter No Matter, which mm. I explained earlier on, that you're running non-profit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you touch a little bit on that and what you do for that? Yeah, so that was basically founded out of a drunken conversation at Weatherspoons. We were just sort of like, we we basically tried to do work together a little bit. And then we were really inspired by, there's a couple of studios, there's one called Nice and Serious, which do a really amazing work. And all they do is do non-profit stuff. Now, that might just be stuff they're portraying to the world. They might do a lot of behind the scenes where they get money from. But we were just sitting around and going, there's a lot of like, naff stuff happening in the world and everyone's a bit more like hyper aware of that because it's the rise of social media and you're more aware of all the like tragic stuff that's going on and we were just a bit like you can do more like we could do some just cool stuff where it's for causes we actually care about and it the first thing we did was actually for a competition brief and it was actually just off the back of that and then it's turned into this sort of idea where we, we'd like to progress to it being a full-time studio and we'd like to like that is the end goal now whether that happens or not is a bit sort of like whatever um so in the meantime we're just sort of interested in working with causes creating work about stuff we care about and hopefully seeing where that goes because like i said at the moment we're doing one for um oceanic pollution now our plan for this is this is actually just a side project that we're just doing off our own back and then we're just going to put it out there and see if any companies want it so we're not we're just literally gonna be like we've made this animation if anyone wants to use it for any anything, just let us know and you can have it. And that's what we're doing. It's like, it's basically like instead of giving money, we're giving our time and our work because as designers, you never really have a lot of money because that's just like, you don't go into graphic design to make loads of money. Um, but at the same time, you have skills that can be put to better use. So yeah. for us, it's just a nice thing we can do for ho hopefully raise awareness to other people. And in the long run, if we do turn it into a fully fledged full-time studio, then that's amazing. And if not, we'll still continue to do it and still continue to make stuff. Have you recently worked on uh, you know, a collaboration with any brand or client that you could speak on that you, you was really touched by, that really inspired you to you know, make a difference yourself in a way? So I know you. I know yeah. I saw on your Instagram you posted about uh, Amazon. They delivered a massive package. Oh but it yeah, was a tiny, tiny product that you ordered. I hate, but it, but yeah. it came up a bit a big cardboard box, and he was like, you know, I hate. I mean, like packaging to me is one of the worst things in the world, and Amazon are just awful people with how they handle it. But that is actually like that annoyance came more off the back of this um, project I'm working on at the moment called Plastic Planet or right. Planet Plastic, and it's. Um, that's all about oceanic pollution, all about plastic wastage and all about just like the, the amount of like, and this is the great thing about these projects is you learn so much. So we decided to go plastic free for the whole of February. I lasted like a week. It's not possible. It's actually impossible to go plastic free in today's world. But doing these sort of non-profit um, projects, you learn a lot and you actually learn so much about the causes. So we did one about men's mental health awareness for um, a charity called Calm. 
And we learned so much about just how it's obviously the number one killer of males below the age of sort of 45. And it's just the, the sort of stats are like terrifying. And the thing about the packaging for me is that it was all, it was this massive cardboard box, which is fine. It's biodegradable. You can recycle it. But then within it was this mound of plastic, like just plastic, um, like blow, like air pockets to like protect it. And that's the sort of stuff that will go into the wildlife. It will go into the natural environment and it will just kill animals and it will do, and it, it can't be, it can be recycled to an extent, but not fully. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's lots of stuff I care about and I try and, I mean, most of the work we collaborate on is amazing because it teaches you loads about not only yourself, but like other things. And you sort of start to self-reflect a lot in a quite a sort of strange way. And you start to realize some of the things you're doing that could be made better. So going plastic free for February, we learned loads about what companies within London are doing certain things and like trying to reduce plastic and how like where you can get refillable so like holding a barrel do like refillable tubs of stuff we can take your own like bags along and if we you can just refill it with like nuts and whatever so it's that thing i mean it's all it comes up to like, education working on collaborative projects especially projects you care about you educate yourself a lot more which helps you become sort of a better person and in turn you often become a better designer by association so yeah i don't know i think it's there's in terms of like actually like corporate work it's not that common that you'll... There's stuff I enjoy. Like I'll do branding projects, which I enjoy because it's cool work. And I actually like I like working with small business. But in terms of stuff that's like for a charity, usually you have to... It's usually just off our own back and it's more just side projects, more than like, I don't know, some guy coming up from a charity saying we need branding doing. Mm. If that makes sense. Do you, do you sometimes have to turn certain charities down and certain clients down because you think obviously it might not be the right project for you and someone else can do... Not, yeah. not a better job, but... You know, come up with a better. Well, sometimes they can do a better job. I mean, I'm very, I'm very <laughs> honest about like my. I'm only four years out of uni. Like my skill level's there. Like it's not like up there yet. And yeah. I think. But sometimes, like you mentioned earlier, you did a project uh, about mental health. So yeah. You 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 said you could relate to that. That's why you took it on board. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What was it for you in particular that you know you was like okay? Well, I think because things about men's mental health. If you're a guy, you've been through it. Like yeah. you've been through the insecurities. You know what it's like to grow up as a teenager and how like difficult it can be and stuff like that. And um, yeah, for me, it's it isn't that's those things are really easy to relate to. And I think like for me, I was like bullied growing up for like my teenage years, and I really always root for the underdog. Like I have it's just a byproduct of that. Like I always feel bad for kids who feel singled out and if I can do something to help that and make people feel like there's a different way of doing like there's help out there that's great but at the same time if I was approached to do a project for um highlighting uh, female abuse at the age of 23 to 28 and it was really niche market and really specific I would probably look at seeing if there's anyone I knew who could take that on because or like domestic abuse for instance because I think you don't have to be able to fully relate, but I think if it's going to radically affect people's lives to that extent, you owe it to yourself to really ask the question, can I do this as well as I like someone else could possibly do? And especially if you're doing it pro bono, if like you're doing stuff just because you want to do it, then you really have an ethical dilemma to go, is it, am I just doing this for the, because like you shouldn't approach these projects for that. I'm doing it for the portfolio. You should do it in the sense of like, we want, we actually care about the cause. Yeah. And if you care about a cause, you'll happily give that project to someone else. If it means it's going to be the best interest of that cause. Cause there's, you've got a lifetime to make a portfolio. Like you don't need to like, just like steal work off people from a charity yeah. to be able to like potentially to get some really solid piece of work, which will get, and again, it's like chasing that prestige. Like why are you building a portfolio in the first place? Is it for because you care about it or is it because you're trying to get into like a really cool studio? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I don't know. It's um it's a fine line. Everyone's different, everyone has different moral compasses, everyone has different things. And for me, it's just about working with other people to create really rad stuff that can have a positive effect on other like everyone else. And if you can do that and tick those boxes, you'll feel good about it. Yeah, hundred percent. I and I agree with you. I think it's like, you know, getting out of your comfort zone sometimes mm. as well. Because sometimes people get too comfortable in what they're doing and it's just like recreating the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Which is fine. And if they're happy with doing that and they find, you know, okay, this is it for me and, you know, I don't want to go out my comfort zone. Because sometimes doing a project for the social change or yeah, yeah. Know, non-profit or pro bono, like yeah. you said, is, is harder for some people because obviously it's yeah, about yeah. money at the end of the day. Someone's got to pay the bill. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I'm not, so, not going to say for one second, people, like there's nothing wrong with being content. There's nothing wrong with just wanting to go to work, graft for your nine five, yeah. go home, make your paycheck, work your way up into a good studio, like a, what you deem to be a good studio. Um, if that is, like I said, going back to what I was saying at the start, if that is what you deem to be, what makes you happy, what makes you feel successful, there's absolutely nothing wrong. Like some of the best people in the world were just grafting nine to five professionals. If like, and I think it's, it's, 
for students coming out of uni, it's about soul searching. It's about not being like influenced by the status quo and not yeah. being told what you what makes you successful by someone else. Like you know what makes you successful. I've always said going back to my old uni and doing a talk would make me that'd be like the highlight of my career. I wouldn't need to do anything else after that. And it's because although that might seem a bit like a cop out to some people, that's what I deem as being successful. Like has has that allowed you to develop your practice, you know, by in, in terms of just so trying different things, getting, like I said, getting out of your com- comfort zone. Yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah. you should always be pushing yourself. I mean, it's not even about trying new mediums. You should always be questioning your own viewpoints. You should always be speaking to people you don't necessarily agree with. Yeah. And I think the creative arts is a very, um, it's a very liberal community. And it's very, like, like very um, ethical and it's to an extent and it's very progressive. The problem is with that, you end up in, like, a sort of little echo chamber. And yeah. you're not aware, and like London's really bad for that. London is an echo chamber. You're not aware of how 90% of the population feel. And the problem is with that, when you're meant to be designing for the like 90% of the population, you're limiting yourself. So for me, it's always about pushing boundaries, not only just with your work, but with what your own viewpoints are. In this section of the podcast, we touch on the idea of failing, how to build up your self-confidence, and how important it is for companies to start diversifying. But it's also the idea of failing as well, isn't it? It's like when you do step out, for example, your comfort zone, you yeah. try new things, you're like, okay, oh, I don't know about that. Because you already have this preception of like, oh, I'm going to fail. Like, I'm not even going to do that. Yeah, no, it's like, it's like, but then... And it has that ever happened to you? Have you tried to do something, you've gone, oh, wait. I'm, oh, I've got, then, a, I've got a hard drive full of like projects that aren't done. But then it's like... All in the trash bin. Yeah, literally just there and they've just been sat on, but... Again, it's like you have to sort of deem what failure is. And it's that sort of saying, which is like, you only truly fail when you stop trying. And so I failed numerous times because I've stopped trying, but I've, I've kept all the work and I, I will maybe one day go back to some of the projects. But I think there's nothing, failure is just like what you deem it to be. And I personally gave up on that a long time ago. I don't really often have time for people's opinions of me in a negative way. Not in a sense of like, if someone comes up and goes, oh, this could be better with your work. If someone goes, I don't like you, I'm just like, well, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to waste any time of my day even thinking about you not liking me because that's time I could spend doing something else. And I did the same with sort of failure to an extent. I just see it as everything's about stepping stones. And when I came out of uni, yeah, I was really like, I was well obsessed with failure. It was like, oh, I didn't get this. I didn't do this. I didn't have this happen. And it gets you down. And when you realize that you're just sort of almost self-harming to an extent by fixating on the idea of failure, once you cast that off, you don't really worry about anything. You just do things. And if the things don't pan out, then that's just how they don't pan out. That's just another like stepping stone in the path I'm traveling in yeah, a really exactly. weird it's way. Just, it's like how life is. It's like failures help you grow and help you actually become successful. I guess when you wake up in the morning, there's not, <laughs> nothing goes perfectly. You are going to get times, even when we were setting up this, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. It took us quite a lot of time to set up. It's our first time doing it, but it's like these failures will then become, you know, successes in the end. Well, we learn from it. So my next question to you is like the failures that you've had Mm. since the beginning of uh, starting your design career, even at uni, Mm. the failures that you had, how did it allow you to foresee yourself in the future and become successful as you are today? Well, I think like I said, the the main failure I had wasn't even a failure. It was like when I got made redundant and you have to start from the bottom again. Um, I keep getting that drink. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you, when you have to start from the bottom again, it's like... Started it, from the bottom now. Hey. Yeah, but I, 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 I relate to that song because I did have to start. I was, at one point, I, was, I had been looking for a job for like two months. I couldn't find one. No one was getting back to me and I was like, I'm going to have to start looking at sort of um, teacher training or something like that because I've always been interested in teaching. Like it's something I might even go into later in life. Like all my family are teachers. But I was like... I didn't want to just do that straight out of uni. I wanted to try and get into the industry. And I was sat in my bedroom talking to my mum. And I was just like, I'm going to have to do something else because I'm not hearing back. But I kept pushing. And I think all failures taught given me is a sense of um, work, a sense of grafting, a sense of actually not 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 stopping to try. And I mean, the thing is, like, it, it's maybe a bit like, it's hard to think back now to when I first left uni because it's like four years on and I'm just dying inside. But it's... For me, I've, I, my advice about failure would just be that you shouldn't let it get, da- get you down. And I think one of the things that I've started to do lately with my own projects is whenever you're starting off a, a project or work, or if you're even just getting up in the day, give yourself like a 10-minute task. And a, it could be really simple. And just give yourself a 10-minute task. And when you complete that, you'll get a sense of satisfaction and it'll push you to keep going. So when you first start off on a project... The first thing I always do is just one little task. It's like, right, I'm just going to illustrate this face. I'm going to just illustrate this little like character's head. I'm going to do something that's going to take me 10 minutes and I get it done. And then when, because I've got it done, it means like I'm working for six hours because I've just like, I've started off in a really positive place. 
And it's actually what they, I don't know why I know this, but it's actually what they teach in the military as well. It's why they're so anal about bed making. Because they say that if you start off the morning making your bed, you'll get that sense of satisfaction and pride from the very first thing in the morning. And that'll carry you for the rest of the day. And it's the same. I, I mean, I, well, my girlfriend won't say that I do, but like, <laughs> I like, I think it's true. If you just start, even if it's just as simple as making your bed in the morning, you'll start off the day in a positive light and it will have ticked one thing off your list and it will set you up to tick everything else off your list. So it comes to failure. Failures only really happens if you allow it to happen to an extent. Now, that's not to say that there aren't kids out there who have um, economic problems. They have like family problems. They have things that are really hard, but it's just how you deal with those problems and how you, if you can overcome them. And if you learn how to overcome them and how to deal with your own own sort of um, mental headspace and how you judge failure to be, then you'll find you never really fail because you'll learn how like it's inconsequential. It's just failure. It's just what you did. Like, it's your it's what your opinion is. Yeah. Um, no one else. Most people won't look at you and go, "You're a failure." Like most people, like if you have to change your career, most people won't unless they're complete idiots. No one's going to turn around to you and be like, "Oh, you're a failure, aren't you?" Like that's on you. That's you projecting that back like, your own fears or back on yourself. So it's just about how to handle that. You just got. It, it's not a quick fix solution. You have to go through those. You have to like spend years just going in and out of that and like trying to come to terms with it. And it some people it doesn't happen for. But it's it's, all, it's almost like being. Um... You know, you're your own worst critic. critic yeah, you know? so no, it is, yeah. You're always judging yourself before someone else has even judged you. Yeah. Um, when someone does criticise your work mm. or does tell you, you know, gives yeah. you feedback yeah, yeah. in the sense, how do you deal with it now compared to how you dealt with it four years ago when you was at university? I deal with it the same way, but it's about, it's, it's the tone in which it's used. So we laugh about this in the designers league quite a lot with the admins because we see so many people just leave like, even non-feedback or it's just overly brutal and it's just like you're not going to get a good response out of someone so for me my attitude towards feedback has never changed it's just the way it's given to me and if you come to me really positive going like so it's like it's the criticism sandwich you start off positive you end your middle with a negative and then you end with a positive Mm -hmm. that's a really effective way of actually getting like um, the good out of people and getting them to really respond to you so you go i really like the color palette you've used but your composition really isn't working so maybe try this but overall, it's not feeling that bad. You just need to work on it for maybe a few weeks. That's a great way of giving feedback. People feel like, they're, like they've been given a bit of confidence, but they've also been told what's wrong. If someone comes to you and goes, oh, that's trash, that's trash, colour's trash, this is trash, why are you doing this, this is useless. And we see that quite a lot in the group. That's just going to put people in their shell. They're not going to want to share their work anymore because they're, be, they're going to be fear of getting that sort of like harsh level of criticism. And yeah, you need a thick skin, but you don't need to wear a suit of armour. Like you shouldn't be... You shouldn't have to come in a suit of armor to work every day because you're terrified that you're going to get ripped apart. Mm. So I think for me, it's all about how you give feedback to someone. And that's from the start. That's when you're graduating as always a uni student all the way through to as you're working professional. If you don't know how to give feedback to someone, you could either like build their confidence or you could completely destroy it to the point they don't want to share their work anymore. Luckily for me, I'm super confident. I don't care. Like if someone wants to absolutely brutally tear me apart... They can do. I just maybe don't. Maybe just won't listen to them because I'll just feel like it's almost an insult, and I'll be like, I'm not. I'm still a defensive. It's almost. I'm, it's almost. You walk into the studio in the morning. You're like, I'm the shit. So yeah, but <laughs> no, but it's also. But no, it's that. But it's also. I mean, it's it's so much. I mean, the industry is so much about self confidence. You need to have that. Like, and I know there will be people who listen to this who maybe are quite introverted, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to go quite far in the industry, you have to have find your voice and you have to have that confidence in who you are as a person. And I'm... Unapo- Almost like standing up for yourself, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm, I'm for me, I'm unapologetically... Uh, I'm unapologetic about who I am. I, I, and that could be the byproduct of being bullied when I was younger or having to move around a lot growing up and meeting lots of new people. But I just... I've got to a point now in my life, I don't have time for people who try and make me feel a bit crap. Like, I just don't. It's... I think you have to be secure within yourself. And when you finally get to the point where you are very secure of who you are as a person, a lot of things become really easy. Like it's one less thing you have to worry about in your life. You don't have to worry about putting on a cloak to like look to blend or to like look like a a certain type of person. You can spend that time doing other things and mentally, like the mental baggage you carry decreases. So that, that again, that's something you learn. That's not something you like. Some people are born with it and some people are just naturally like that. But for the, for the majority, you have to evolve into that sort of person. And that'll happen after a few years of working in the industry and getting to know lots of different people. Um, but yeah, everyone should just not care as much. Like it's, it's someone's opinion. That opinion only matters as much as you allow it to. And it, a lot of times, opinions don't matter at all. Unless they're from like my close friends or my family. They're the ones I care about. Yeah. I don't care if like some designer who's my mate's mate thinks my work's trash. It's like, well, good for you, mate. Like changing yeah. stuff because it's ultimately you're trying to design 
not for designers. How do you feel like people who do have that sort of upbringing mm. or, you know, that sort of background when they're coming in, they don't have that self-confidence and they're trying to get into the design yeah. industry and it's very brutal and mm. people are very critical, right? Yeah. Like you said, how do they overcome that in the sense like you did? So, so yeah, I think it was interesting because when I, like, I was bullied from baby, like, most of secondary school, like, I was just a, a bit of a weird kid and I didn't really dress very well and I was quite an easy target because I've got ADHD and it makes me quite, it's, I say things about thinking and it makes you a really easy target in the playground. But I also had a really good group of mates and I played, I skated and I played basketball and I played on rugby and I did all, I was really, it was a really weird experience because I actually did all the things that shouldn't really mean you get bullied, but because I was an easy target, I was. So it wasn't that I was ever like, I never got as low as some of like the, the kids you hear about who have like really horrific stories. Like I always had a really firm set of friends around me. And so when I, I, and I moved, I, I moved around a lot. So I sort of got to know groups of people. And actually, you can almost reinvent yourself a little bit. So for me, my progression was the fact I moved to the Midlands when I was 16, met a whole new people, could sort of reinvent myself a little bit and then carried on to uni. And I just, I've always tried, like to me, my friends have always been the most important thing to me. You should always surround yourself with a really solid group of people and people who, who will um, call you out for something or will like challenge your viewpoints. And I think for people who are maybe intro a bit of introverted and are trying to get into industry, just try and surround yourself with people who bring more of you out and make you not so much afraid to like say who you are and have confidence in yourself. So how, how important do you feel like that is now for design companies, especially to be diversifying themselves? No, it's... It, um... It's, no, it's hugely important. It, now more than ever, we're uh, in the last sort of what, 10 years, like 15 years, there's been a huge, huge um, growth in technology. And it's more important than ever because we're now a global community. It's not just singular. And people need to be able to talk to other people's voices and represent that in a positive way. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not rosy-eyed and idealist. I understand that companies don't, don't hire people with ADHD, like if they're really open about it, don't hire people with autism because they're thinking about their overheads. They're thinking about, we need to make this amount of money. And that's just basically how the industry works. But at the same time, it's so important that new voices are heard and it's not just the same old uni-educated white male voice like mine. Because that's exactly the path where I have. I am the I'm like the the poster boy for the industry. It's like middle class, quite privileged, um, uni educated, came into industry, managed an unpaid internship while living with my parents, and I don't agree with that. I think it's a really, um, but it's it's going to at some point it's going to stagger the industry, and it could have been doing that for the last like ten years, but it's going to cause the industry to come to a halt because you're not going to be able to um, you're not going to be able to um what's it called well you put yourself in someone's position what are they looking for well you try to put yourself in someone else's position empathy empathy yeah okay yeah, yeah no, yeah so we'll leave that, leave that in but yeah so we, like you're not gonna be able to empathize with people's positions because yeah. you're going to be in a little echo chamber all having the same opinion and if you're trying to do some work which is aimed at like i don't know youths out in croydon or something like that for like a youth center or something like that how the like, I'm not gonna be able to relate to that. I'm gonna be like, I don't know the struggles they've gone through. I don't know that. I can come from a working class background, and that's not to say I can't design work that will hit that. But it will help a lot more if you have someone on the team who has come from that like working class estate background who knows what these kids think like and needs to hit those sort of demographics. Well, we're seeing examples of it right now with uh, you know like Pepsi, and yeah, like Kendall Jenner, and yeah, then. Yeah. Um, it was the Nivea ad. Am I am I wrong? So it was a Nivea. Oh, there's, there's been so many like you know, nightmares. Um, sorry, Dove was. I think it was Dove. The woman. When they oh yeah! Oh yeah! It's changing. And then, yeah. so you know all these adverts that are coming yeah. out with these in, uh, creative from obviously creative yeah. industries, um, and also H and M. Yeah, that was a big example right now. Yeah, I know? think they made. A, I think H and M made a slight error going after creatives because yeah so yeah. so what is your take on all these things happening like mm. you said if they have diversity in their companies yeah people would be able to spot these problems before they even reach to the public and save themselves embarrassment and also create better content for people like you know it's 2018 yeah so you can't have things like that showing but on the air and i think the pepsi one shows it more than more than anything is it's um that had to be signed off by numerous people. That wasn't just some like director or some exec going, yeah, this is good. That had months of work and lots of stages of sign off. And that to me just shows how oblivious certain companies are to certain things. So where do they draw the line? Is that, you know? Well, I think you draw the line when it's, 
I don't know if you, I don't know if there is a line. This is the thing. I don't know if there is a line, but I think you owe have a certain e- emphasis of responsibility on yourself. And I think personal responsibility for me has just gone out the window. I think people are much prefer just to point the finger and go, "This is your fault." But at the same time, a company as big as Pepsi, you don't take like a, a human like the, the struggle of the human rights movement, and you like take that ethos and use it to sell a commercial product. Like it almost, I think the problem with people have with Pepsi other than Kendall Jenner was they almost over it missed out and it almost overlooked the entire struggle of like a hundred years of the work that went into that. It was just like, oh, we're going to have like a cool little protest. I'm going to give the guard like a Pepsi bottle, obviously homaging the sort of like hippie movement and it's going to be all good. And the problem with that is the personal responsibility of Pepsi just went out the window because they should have recognized that like people died, like people were getting like killed in the street and, it wasn't just as simple as like, oh, we're going to do this. It's all going to be good. And I think that's what people were annoyed about is that it just completely obliv- they were completely oblivious to that. And that's where that sort of own, like responsibility of Pepsi comes in is they have to recognize these things. Yeah. And that will, then if they recognize them, it relates to an audience more. And they won't feel like, because people don't want to feel like they're being pandered to. And I think that's, um, that's just one of the problems. It's more with big companies. I think big companies have a more of a moral obligation than others because... They do have a variety of people work for them because they're so big and they have a lot of power. If you've like put something out there and it, it their voice matters, even if they, well, even if they don't think it does, their voice really has an impact on the way people perceive each other. In this last section, Ben talks about his time at university, where the design awards actually matter and how important platforms like DNAD are to students. Yeah, so I basically moved from a town from Stafford in the Midlands, dead as anything, it's like Poundland, just giant Poundland. Um, but then I went to University of West of England, Bristol, and I had um, an, I went to uni not for the educational side. I knew I liked creative creativity, I liked making stuff, but I never, I never went to uni to become a graphic designer. I went to uni because it got me out of my town and it allowed me to like meet new people, and I loved Bristol, and it was an amazing city, and I just wanted to explore myself a little bit explore like the rest of the country so the first year was quite funny because I felt like the first year of uni was almost like a foundation year again so I did a foundation year when I was back in Stafford and the first year was all about like feeling like paper stock and getting to grips with the world and like if you're going to design a typeface go out and like just get like etchings of like church buildings of like type and all that sort of stuff which I really liked like I've always been really interested in that sort of like haptic experience um and then yeah, I just think like I had quite a sort of standard, probably I'd say uni progression, like just went through everything. I did pretty well, like I was getting first consistently. And then I messed up um, my first, it was, I don't know why they do it like this, but I messed up my first module in second year and got like a two, I think it was a high two, two. I don't know what, I think I was going out too much. And then I got, and then I was like, no, I can't do this again. I'm going to buckle down. I got first pretty much all the way through the next, rest of the second year, all the way through third year. And I've got a two-one in my final mark in um, in third year, and then they combined the, the first module of second year with the final mark in third year. So I ended up basically with like a 0.1% off a of first. So I got sixty-nine point four. You need sixty-nine point five wow. to get a first. I was like dead. I was so. I was like my um, my girlfriend always laughs because she said I went to bed and I just laid. I didn't talk to anyone for like three hours. It was really like I didn't wow. I didn't say anything to anyone. I just walked out the room. Yeah. Um, and that was just because I felt like I'd, I'd done so well. And it was just like, it's not like I really see that like, you need to have a first. It's just like, it was a big thing for me. Um, but I did that. Yes, yeah, so I did all that. And it was fine. And it was like a great time at uni, just going out. I loved being in a studio. And I loved being able to work with people and being surrounded by all these different experiences. And being in a place where I could fail and fail comfortably. Because I'd never been like a, like a, a God's gift to creative industries. I'd never been God's gift to design. I'd always have to work really hard. So it allowed me that freedom to try things and realize actually that's not what I like and I would need to do something else or whatever. Um, and then when I graduated, I had a really lucky experience where I went to DNAD. Um, for anyone watching this, go to DNAD because it. You, I I go every year to see what students are going at. I think last year maybe a handful of students came from my uni and like, yeah, it's in Bristol, but you should still go. Hundred yeah. percent. We went, uh, I believe, to the last festival last year. Yeah. Um, and just to see the variety of work that was coming out from students mm. and uh, in general, just obviously agencies as well partaking. And it's quite inspiring just to see like how big, um, you know, 
DNAD is in terms of awards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like the Oscars for yeah, graphic design. Yeah, it is. Designers, it's like shoe design as well. It's um, like really big deal. And it is a big deal. And I feel like, yeah, you might not win or you might not get any DNAD, but just by going and experiencing mm. that culture and seeing everyone there together and having a good time yeah. as well and going to these talks is very inspiring. But that's the thing. I mean, I... I so I think it's more than just an award for me personally. No, it is. I mean, I, I, I never... Um, I never submitted to the awards it was never like for me I just thought it was like a pretty rad thing and I was like I'm going to go along and I've signed up to loads of different um, workshops and like talks and I went to go meet people so I and I got my first internship off going to a, a lecture at 1.0 and I harassed the senior producer there like Simone I just put badgering her and go like oh I love what you guys do and like they're, they're really they were really big into education 1.0 so they have loads of roots into like education and I was just chatting to them. And then before I'd even got out the door, I submitted an email to them. Like literally, I, was, I wasn't even out of the building yet. And I said, I really want to get an internship here. And I got that off the back of going to DNAD. And so when I see and I talk to kids who are like, oh, I'm not, I haven't gone, I haven't been bothered. You're probably missing out on one of the best experiences to try yeah. and get an internship or get a job. I think what universities like to do is they... They like to tell the students, actually, yeah. DNAD is more than just an award for you guys. Yeah. It's an actual platform for you to get into the creative industry. Usually, you can, yeah. You can, you know, find masterclasses on there, et cetera. This is like a plug for DNAD, but, but you We're know. We're not sponsored um, by them. <laughs> we should be. <laughs> um, so, you know, my next question is, when you were at university and there were these competition briefs, yeah, yeah. as you have to do as a graphic designer or even yeah. illustrator, what was it for you? Were you like, okay, I need to win an award because that's what will get me the internship yeah. or that's what will get me the job? Or were you like, oh, I'll give this a go, see what happens, you know? Um, I, well, I'll say it. Like, I, I don't really care about awards. I don't think, I don't, I mean, it's bad to say because I don't, I think they do really put out some good briefs and you should submit to them if you like the briefs and they are, they do help. Like it was still an industry where recognition is important and having these like, so there's, there's a guy last year who now works at um, uh, what they call taxi design in um, Bristol and he won two pencils and he got scouted at DNAD to go work at the studio. And I think they are worthwhile, but to me, they've never been something I've cared about. I think you're more likely to get a job in the industry of personality, drive, passion, and just willing to get yourself out there. So that's something graduates should be doing now. Like, what was it? March, like now, up until they graduate, is getting out into the contacting studios, asking if you can go in on a weekend, especially you guys being in Hearts. Yeah. Like, you're close to like one of the biggest cultural capitals of Europe and not the world. I, I always say this, um, I always uh, talk amongst my friends and I say London is probably one of the best cities in the world to be a designer. Yeah. Just because it's so diverse, it's multicultural, you meet all sorts of walks of life, and it's just colourful, isn't it? When you come here and you're like, wow, okay. You know, you get inspired just by walking out the tube station. Yeah, and you've got that on your Jordan, you've got that on your doorstep. So, like, you should definitely be trying to like arrange to go studio tours with like these big agencies of that. Like, just because it's interesting to go see what they do, get in touch with smaller agencies, see if you can go talk to them, see if you can get portfolio crits. Like, it, it's really important now more than ever that you aren't just being complacent. You're not just waiting to get your degree and then going right now. I'm gonna now it's DNAD is like a week where I'm gonna jump into action. You should be doing it from like this point, contacting people going, I want to come see you this on like this afternoon so I can come talk to you, see what's about. And then when, then go to DNAD, go get involved in the talks, go speak to people, show you're passionate, not just the fact, because at the end of the day, if you win an award from a uni, from a uni brief, chances are your tutors have had a massive part in like influencing how you've done a project. Students, like studios know this, studios know that you, like you've got a pencil, that's really great, but you need to show it across the rest of your work. You of need course, to show yeah. that you're, you can deliver that if you come to us, not just that your tutors told you to do this layout and do it like this. So to me, that's why I've always said portfolio matters more than awards and personality and passion matter more than awards because when we're hiring for people, we're not just looking for the fact that they have the experience, like the skill base. We're looking at it to be a good fit for the studio and they have, they can bring a new dynamic to it. So it's not just enough to be like a little recluse who can just sit and like tick off boxes and go, oh, I've got the black pens and the graphite and I've got all this nonsense. And it's like, well, good for you. Like you can win an award, but does that mean that you can work in a team and you can collaborate and you can bring drive and you can instill passion in other people? And that's what matters. And that's not to say you shouldn't enter these awards. Like I said, you should always, if that's something you want to do, do it. And if you can win an award, that's absolutely amazing. And like, I'm happy for any, I've got a few friends who've won pencils and it's like a really good, like good thing for them. But if it's not something you're, you're not interested in, I wouldn't worry. Yeah. If it's, I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't worry if you're a student who doesn't care about awards and you're worried that like, oh, is that going to impact me? 
No, because if you can make up for the fact, you, like if you can just have a good portfolio and show you're an interesting person, that counts for a hell of a lot. To finish off, basically, mm. I wanted to ask you, what would be your top three tips of when you started out and where you are today? So or just in terms of like undergrads or just any people going into yeah, the industry? Yeah, for undergrads, um, just going into the industry. So like, you know, for our, our de- demographic, basically. I mean, you're not going to give top three tips to designers or uh, industry. Yeah, but yeah. It's like, I think so, it's... So undergrads, yeah. Find your Sorry voice. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, no, it's fine. It's like, just it's just interesting. It's like, it's, find your voice. Be unapologetically you. Don't be scared to fail. Everything will come if you put the work in. That's four, but I'll give you, I'll give you yeah. the last one. <laughs> I just feel like. Yeah. So, but no, I just think, yeah, it's, it, you've got to find your voice and you've got to just be not worried about who you are as a person. And they're the two things. You don't even need a third one. If you can do that and you can find out what it is you want to achieve, and you be unapologetic about that, and you can be true to who you are, then the burdens of, like I said earlier about the other pe- the expectations of other people won't matter. And you'll find you're a much happier person, and all that matters in life is that you think you're doing the right thing. And that's how you do it, basically. Thank you very much, Ben, for being on the first episode of Undergrads Podcast. Um, if you would want to shout out any of your social media, where they can find your work. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, personal Instagram account is Ben underscore designs. Website, you find from that. Um, my club studio is matter underscore no matter. Um, and our website, again, you can find from the page. And then the Designers League, which if you're a student or an undergrad or a recent graduate, I recommend you join. It's a free Facebook group um, where you can receive feedback, advice, tips from all designers or and collaborative people. Um, and you can find that by searching the, the Designers League on Facebook or going to thedesignersleague.co, which is our website. And I would encourage yeah, anyone who's interested in even getting involved in the creative community or who's about to progress into it to join and say hello. This has been the first episode of the Undergrads podcast. If you like what you heard and want to stay updated for the latest episodes, subscribe to our iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud pages. If you want to get involved in the conversation or if you have any questions, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is undergrads, that's U-N-D-R-G-R-D-S. If you would like to see the video version of this podcast, check out our YouTube channel, Undergrads. Thanks for listening. Deuces!